Today on Act News Daily. So, generally speaking, when you have the dollar going higher, to keep us competitive on our exports, we have to see commodities go lower. Uh, intrinsically, though, when a dollar is worth more, other things are worth less. Not worthless, but worth a little bit less. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined today by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, it appears we have a, somewhat of a preliminary winner in the presidential election. We certainly do, Delaney. I was pretty surprised when I got the news on Saturday morning that we had somewhat of an answer. From what I understand, not all states yet are done counting those votes, but I am not sure that Donald Trump can recover and actually come through and win the presidency. From my understanding, it is Joe Biden that is going to be our next president. Is that am I am I correct on that, Delaney? Yeah. Oh, you are. Um, somewhat correct in that, Ashton. And I say that because there's still a little bit of confusion about what's going to happen with some of these claims that there could have been potential fraud during this election. I read an article last night that stated Georgia was going to have to toss out, I believe, somewhere around 150 or 200,000 votes because they claimed to be fraudulent absentee ballot votes. And so I think that's really the lingering question out there is what's going to happen if indeed there are ballots that get tossed because of potential, you know, fraudulent, uh, the fraudulency of those votes. And if so, what does that mean for the presidency? Because I imagine some of these could take quite some time to get sorted out. So that's why I say I, I technically, I think from an electoral college perspective, Vice President or former Vice President Joe Biden has won. But there are those lingering questions about what do we do with some of these ballots that could potentially be thrown out? Yes, I completely forgot about the claims of fraud in those absentee ballots when I first took into account that Joe Biden would be the next president. So I really appreciate you pointing that out, Delaney. But something that I'd like to point out as well is that a couple of agricultural organizations have already congratulated former Vice President Joe Biden on this win. The National Farmers Union, the president, Rob LaRue, actually came out and congratulated the president-elect and said that some of Biden's views for America or plans for America, I should say, overlaps with NFU's vision in many respects. And among others, the American Farm Bureau came out and actually it was President Zippy Duval who took to Twitter to uh, congratulate Joe Biden on this win and says that they look forward to working with the Biden administration on big challenges facing farmers. So from my understanding, what I have gathered is that many farmers and rural Americans voted for President Trump and Biden won by just a thin margin in those states that uh, are more rural. Yeah, I think it was a very small margin altogether. And like we've talked about before, this year's election had a record turnout. So really, this election seems like most people were maybe not excited by, but at least were trying to make their voices heard, Ashton. But I want to switch tracks here to the other large news-breaking story that just came out today. Conveniently, Ashton, one week after the presidential election is now finished, we've seen a pharmaceutical company come out with an with a COVID-19 vaccine. 
Pfizer announced this morning that their COVID vaccine tested at a 90% efficiency. And although it will take months to get approved by regulators and then mass produced, we are starting to see some folks uh, trickle and rumor about how this is going to be rolled out and if it will be potentially available for folks to start using sooner rather than later. But it did add a sense of calmness, we'll say, to the markets today. We saw soybeans rally, I believe, up about a percentage and a half today. Corn and wheat also rallied. We also saw on the stock side of things that the stock market is was 5% higher this morning, 1,500 points higher on the Dow. Crude oil up about $4. We're going to talk about all that and more with Ted Seifert here coming up in just a little while, but really pretty supportive today for the markets. Yes, Delaney, I saw that story as well, and it was pretty exciting to hear, although it is a fairly new development. So we still have to wait on them, of course, to finalize. And like you said, this could Mm -hmm. take months. All I've got to say, Ashton, is I don't want to be one of the first people signing up to get this new vaccine. Yeah, I I think the number that I saw was 44,000 people are in that trial right now. Again, I didn't get a whole lot of information when I was looking at this story. So I believe it's 44,000 that they're trialing right now. And from what I gathered, it is a you have to do two doses of this vaccine to really be effective. And they're, I think, hoping to get at least a certain amount done in 2020. But I don't know that that's going to happen. And I don't know that that's, you know, completely the whole truth. Because again, I didn't do too much diving into it. But um, like you said, a couple of months is is what we're should anticipate, I guess. So we will certainly keep an eye out on that story. But another story that we have been keeping our eyes out on for quite some time now is the roundup trials around Bayer. And Bayer has said that it does not expect any more roundup trials trials to occur as it remains committed to settling the pending litigation. The U.S. District Judge, who is overseeing all of the roundup lawsuits filed in federal courts, had set a deadline of November 2nd for all of those lawsuits to be settled. And Bayer says a very small number of cases that have yet to be settled in the multi-district litigation could be remanded to other courts. But with the ongoing settlement progress and the continuing of the COVID-19 pandemic, Bayer does not expect trials to occur before the third quarter of 2021, if at all. And they added that more than 88,000 claims are either settled or in the process of being settled. And Bayer was quoted as saying they are fully committed to settling the Roundup litigation and is reaching out to counsel for virtually all not yet settled cases. So they did not really meet that November 2nd deadline for all of those lawsuits to be settled. But hopefully Bayer will uh, be out of the woods here soon. Sounds like they're really trying to clean up that mess fast, Ashton. It certainly sounds that way, but they still have some cleaning left to do. Absolutely, that they do. Well, switching tracks here just a little bit, Ashton, we've talked quite a lot on this podcast about alternative meats, more specifically plant-based meats. Well, we saw fast food giant McDonald's announce just today on Monday that it is launching its own plant-based line that will begin to be tested in their locations next year. This new line of products is called, I like this name, McPlant. 
and will include burgers at first, and later they're going to incorporate chicken substitutes as well. Now, the thing to note here that's a little different about how McDonald's is rolling this out as compared to Burger King and White Castle and Dunkin' Donuts and some of those other ones that have already introduced plant-based alternatives on their menu. McDonald's is basically growing these products in-house and they're not licensing them from somewhere else, such as a Beyond Meats or Impossible Foods. So they are growing them in-house. It sounds like I, I don't have a lot of details about who is growing them for them, whether it's contract farmers or if they have their own team working on this. But they said they are getting on board, getting on train on the train here of those alternative meat products. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. But uh, just something I thought our listeners would be interested to hear about today. It certainly is interesting. And I love the creativity of McPlant there. But I, although I am not someone who does eat meat substitutes, I'm Glad that bigger chains like McDonald's are making efforts to expand to the customer base. There has been an increase, certainly, with consumers wanting those kinds of products. And so, you know, good good for McDonald's, although I can't say that I will be trying any of those meat substitutes. No, <laughs> not, not me either. No, I uh, am a meat eater all the way, but, you know, I commend those folks who who do try to diversify. But I just have one other news story that I wanted to share today, and it's coming from Germany. But we are not talking about the African spine fever. Today, we're talking about bird flu. Type H5N8 bird flu has been confirmed in another poultry farm in North Germany. The case was found on a small chicken farm in the Kreis-Seckberg area of the northern state of Schleswig-Holstein. And I do not know that I pronounced all of those right, so forgive me if not. But uh, they came out, the local government came out and said that earlier today. The 36 chickens on the farm have been ordered to be slaughtered and poultry on nearby farms will not be allowed outside. A series of outbreaks of the disease have been reported in Europe in the past few weeks. And wild birds are believed to be spreading the disease to these chicken farms and the type H5N8 bird flu was found in a different farm earlier this month on November 5th. The Netherlands, which is Europe's largest exporter of chicken, meat, and eggs, ordered the culling of over 200,000 chickens after bird flu had been found on several farms since late October. And Britain ordered a cull of 13,000 birds at a farm in northwest England after detecting cases there. Although there is little risk to humans from the disease, this is definitely a, a big break that I am going to keep my eyes out on because it seems to be traveling pretty fast over there. You know, Ashton, I always wonder things like uh, avian influenza or swine flu, even COVID, if in 100 years after we're long gone, people will look back and think, wow, they're you know, people during that era, the 21st century, were so stupid because they should have known X. You know, we think about like pasteurization or just the amount now germs and the traveling of germs. I always wonder, 
Will our future generations look back at us and think, wow, there was so much they could have done to prevent those things. And it would have been so simple. And it was just we didn't we don't have enough advancement in science yet to know what those things are. Yeah, that certainly is a a real thinker there, Delaney. And it just kind of makes me think of the diseases that we saw, you know, back in the Victorian era Mm -hmm. where like things like washing your hands. Right. Kind of mitigated the spread of, you know, typhoid fever or something like that. So it's just, it certainly gets my mind wondering, thinking back on how far we have advanced on how much more we are going to advance in the next few years. Yeah, I always wonder that myself. But I tell you what, Ashton, one thing we don't have to wonder about any longer is where the market's closed for today. What do you say? We take a quick look here before we talk to Ted Seifried. Let's do it. All right. Well, as I mentioned, really all across the board today, we saw things immediately rally on the news that Pfizer had a vaccine that they were going to intend to release here for commercial launch. And soybeans really were the big winner today. But kicking things off here in the December corn contract up a half a cent to close at 407 and a quarter. The March up a penny and a half to close at 415 and a quarter. Soybeans today up seven cents to close at 1105 and a half. The January up nine and a half to close at 11. In the Chicago wheat pits, December pulling back just five cents today to close at 5.97. The March down four to close at 6.05. In the livestock pits, green across the screen as the December live cattle contract limit up today to close at 111.82. The February up 2.92 to close at 115.07. In feeder cattle, the November contract limit up to close at 141.62 and a half. The January up. Big limit move today to close at 140.72 and a half. Lean hogs also green on the screen as December added 70 cents to close at 65.60. The February up 42 cents to close at 67.45. And rounding out our markets with the Class 3 dairy milk futures, November up 25 cents to close at 23.45. December up 36 cents to close at 19.06. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Ted Seifred. Well, as promised, we are joined today by Ted Seifert of the Zaner Group. Ted, how you doing today? Doing all right, Delaney. How are you? I am not too bad, Ted. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty thankful to get through at least the majority, I hope, of this election scandal, whatever you want to call it, tensions. But uh, I find it very coincidental that just a week after the election results were somewhat finalized or the election itself is over, we now have news that uh, Pfizer has a vaccine to cure COVID-19 or to treat COVID-19. Yeah, uh, I guess a lot of people find that interesting, I suppose. I I don't know. Uh, I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, Delaney, but as far as the markets are concerned, it was really good news for Monday. Uh, Brings back that risk on climate, meaning, you know, investors feel safe to get into really Anything they consider a little bit more risky, the stock market, certainly soybeans, you know, <laughs> but uh, commodities as a whole saw a nice little boost on Monday, uh, with the exception of the wheat. And wheat struggles because a stronger U.S. dollar, which was also the case on Monday, is probably the biggest problem for wheat more than maybe anything else. Although keep an eye on that dollar, that reversal that we saw higher on Monday is a bit of a concern of mine. I have a few other concerns as well, but at least for the time being, it was a nice, strong update in soybeans, a good, decent day, higher in corn, and we've got a big USDA report tomorrow. So 
lots of news, uh, lots of things going on. Uh, trying to balance it all is, uh, is a bit tricky right now, Delaney, but where do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a lot of things I want to make sure we touch on today, but let's start, Ted, with your mention of the U.S. dollar. Tell us a little bit more about why you're concerned about that. Yeah, okay. So, you know, a higher U.S. dollar does not bode well for commodities in general, but specifically exportable commodities because it makes us comparatively more expensive on a global scale, even if prices of our commodities are unchanged. So, generally speaking, when you have a dollar going higher, to keep us competitive on our exports, we have to see commodities go lower. Uh, intrinsically, though, when a dollar is worth more, other things are worth less. Not worthless, but worth a little bit less. So higher dollar is not good for really anything. Um, but you know, the dollar had been under pressure for some time. We're not at levels where we need to be concerned about the dollar right now. But the, we did have a nice little reversal higher there on Monday, uh, along with that, the, the antivirus news. Uh, or I'm sorry, vaccine news. Um, and if that dollar continues higher, that becomes something that could be a limiting factor, and especially for the wheat. We talked about that earlier. That's uh, that's the one that is the most sensitive to the U.S. dollar. Um, but then again, look at you know look at look at what happened in the gold market today. But for agriculture, it would be the wheat. Uh, so again, we made a new recent low. We closed. Or looks like we're going to close above the previous day's high. That reversal higher in the dollar is a bit of a concern on a chart. That's something we want to be aware of. And Ted, you mentioned that there were a few other things you were a little concerned about besides just the U.S. dollar circling back to your first comment. What are some of those other factors that are concerning to you? Is it just what's going on right now in the wheat complex? Well, no. I mean, so for one, you know, President-elect Biden is putting together a coronavirus task force. And the concern there is that even if we do have uh, a vaccine, it may not be able to get rolled out in time to stop him from, well, shutting the country down again. Uh, at least that is the thought of some of the people out there. Uh, so that's a bit of a concern. You know, I mean, you know, the, the big uh, celebration day we had at the markets on Monday, uh, that might be a celebration had much later, because if Biden is able to come in and, you know, put the country under another lockdown, uh, that's going to have some really harsh uh, impacts on the economy and the agricultural economy and prices and everything like that. Something else, though, um, and this is probably the big one that I saw over the weekend is that, uh, you know, there's talk in China that China wants to renegotiate the phase one trade deal and they feel like they have a much more sympathetic ear in Joe Biden. That, uh, while it might not be a problem for this year and the rally that we're having right now in soybeans, uh, I, I think that continues uh, for now, but that might be a bigger issue for next year or the following year. Uh, right now, I think there's still bullish fundamentals there for soybeans because there's issues down in South America. Even if China does want to renegotiate this deal, they're not going to be doing it until at least February. And so they need to make good on it. They need to make it look good, if, especially if their intentions are to renegotiate it. I think they really have to spend some time continuing to make that look really good so that they have more to negotiate with. So I'm not worried about it right here and right now. But this was a concern that I had when Biden, uh, with Biden running for president and, you know, the potential for if he were elected. And this is a, a problem that now seems to be coming to fruition. So that's something to keep an eye on. It doesn't really make me feel great uh, about what the prospects are for next year. 
but as I said, you know, I mean, we're already dealing with a, a soybean balance sheet that is getting very tight. We're going to see an update that on that tomorrow with uh, the WASDE report. I think that will get tighter. And if China continues to buy like they have been, I mean, there's a very real potential that we run out of soybeans this year and we're just getting into price rationing mode. So in the near term, as long as China keeps buying, I think there's more upside potential for soybeans. But again, that is a big concern of mine going further in time and and specifically for next year's crop. If, say, a year from today, South America looks really good instead of how they look right now, uh, I could see China doing to us something similar to what they've done to other countries in the past and what they're doing to, say, Australia right now, which is just completely Mm -hmm. cut out all of their exports. Ted, I'll be interested to after this election dust kind of settles, have you back on in another month or so and get your updated perspective on President-elect Joe Biden's uh, securing of the presidency for next year. But I want to switch tracks here just a little bit, Ted. You mentioned the WASI report, and I'll I'll toot your own horn for you, Ted. You're generally pretty close to being spot on with where USDA comes in for reports. I'd say you're you're pretty good at predicting what they're going to do, which is a hard task. Um, But give us the Ted Seyfried slash Zaner Group estimates for what is tomorrow's report going to bring? Yeah, you know, I I think we get a bit of a bullish report for soybeans tomorrow. Now, the trade is looking for a lower ending stock number coming from a higher export number and possibly a lower production number. I agree with both of those things. I think the USDA would be way too slow in moving the export number higher if they didn't at least move 25 million bushels higher on this report. So ultimately, your 290 million bushel carryover, I think, comes down sub 250. The trade's looking for 244, so it's about what I'm expecting. And I, I would think if we see that, that just kind of really highlights the situation that we have in soybeans. And I think that would be a rather bullish number and really keep us going higher. I'm not so sure for corn, though. Um, I, I'm one of the few people in the camp that thinks that our, our corn yield could, our corn yield and production number could actually go a little bit higher than what it has been doing. It had been trending lower. There's a lot of people thinking that needs to, to shrink even more than it has. We're getting some pretty, really fantastic test weights. Uh, well, much better than what we've seen in the last two years. In the last two years, that's been a drag on our production number. This year, I think it's going to be a positive. Um, I just wonder if that that corn production number goes a little bit higher. Now, I don't know if that happens on this report or in January. But I don't really see a huge need for the USDA to get that aggressive on exports right now. They have done that. Uh, if you look at the export number that we have for corn, it is really substantial. I don't think they can get terribly aggressive on, you know, ethanol. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think you get a shockingly bullish corn report tomorrow. So if we do get a bullish bean report, hopefully the corn will want to follow along with it. Um but I don't know. You know, we'll see. That's why we that's why we get these reports. They ha- they do have a tendency to surprise from time to time. And Delaney, I'm not uh, I, I'm not uh, I, I can get surprised myself. I mean, it's, I'm very curious to see what they have to say tomorrow. Yeah, I think a lot of people will be watching this report for sure. Ted, before I let you go, let's talk protein markets here briefly. I want to talk cattle. Well, actually, let's just talk both of them because they all really had a good day, especially in the cattle complex moved higher today. Two part question for you, Ted. One, why did cattle have such drastic moves today? And two, if indeed we do see Joe Biden shut down the country again, you know, we dealt with a lot of shortage and supply issues back in March and April. What's that going to do for us this time around? Are we prepared for that again? Okay. Um, So, you know, 
as far as today was concerned, uh, there was a couple things going on in cattle. One, technically, we were having a really hard time. We spent the last six sessions running into very key resistance that we had just over where we ended up closing on Friday. So given just a little tiny spark of, of good news, you gap over that and then you go. So you've got that technical buying coming in uh, from a breakout pattern on the chart. So that was certainly that was certainly an impact or, uh, part of what was going on in the cattle today. From a fundamental standpoint, the idea of, of a vaccine, people going out to restaurants again, things like that, that gets really exciting. That's good for demand, obviously. And yeah, so cattle reacted very positively to that news. To your point, though, um, you know, what if it goes the other way? What if we are bound for more shutdowns and things like that? That would be a big problem for cattle. So that's, you know, today we chose to trade one thing. In the future, we may cho- we may choose to, to trade something else. Now, the big question for cattle always is and always will be, will we see, will we see packers shut down again? Because even if we see uh, restaurants and whatever shut down, our domestic demand has stayed pretty good. We eat beef at home, too. Uh, but if we see Packers shut down, that is, that is a, a, a terrible situation for cattle again. We're hopeful that doesn't happen. We don't have any reason to believe right now that it will. So for now, we're good. But if we start seeing a path to that again, then that's when we really have a problem. I, just, I don't think we need to be trading that in the market right now. So this breakout to the outside looks good. Domestic demand is solid. I don't really see any reason why we need to stop here or, or give away the gains that we saw on Monday. All right. Well, Ted, always great to have you on. You always have great insights into the markets. Before I let you go, if folks want to chat with you more in depth, how can they get a hold of you? Absolutely. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0113, or you can find us on the web at www.zaner, that's Z-A-N-E-R.com. You can read a bit about us. You can also sign up for our morning Ag Hedge newsletter. And uh, if Twitter's your thing, you can also find me on Twitter at, at the Ted Spread. Fantastic. Well, Ted, thanks so much again for coming on and chatting markets today. My pleasure, Delaney. Thanks for having me. Again, that was at the Ted Spread on Twitter. Always great to have him on chatting markets. But Ashton, folks, can always chat markets or Ag News or whatever's on their mind with us on Twitter as well at Ag News Daily on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.